In usual Matthew fashion, Matthew chapter 10 is a really heavy bit of scripture. There's Beelzebub in there and killing your soul. Some dark stuff in there. And if you need a little bit of context before we got to the part that Esther just read, Jesus had just finished commissioning his beginner disciples, sending them out as proclaimers of God's peace, sending, sending them to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Cure the sick, raise the dead, cleanse lepers, cast out demons. See, I'm sending you out as sheep into the midst of wolves. So be wise as serpents and as innocent as doves. And then he sends them, and he includes all these words of warning, preparing the fresh disciples for a new reality. People will not receive this message of freedom, or even the acts of healing and mercy. Many of them will not have open arms or greet you with gratitude. Sometimes whole towns of people will hate you. Sometimes you're going to run for your lives. And these will be faith communities, religious folks who believe they are carrying out the will of God. People who will even come for you with violence. They will compel you to abandon this disciple's path. But through all of this, Jesus doesn't downplay or undersell just how painful or difficult this would be because some of these people who oppose you may well be from your own family, forcing you to take sides along religious dividing lines. Can't we all just get along, Jesus? Well, honestly, no. These religious divisions will be like a sword at times even severing our most cherished bonds. As he made these upsetting predictions, perhaps Jesus looked and he saw the horrified disciples, their faces widening. And so he dropped in some assurance, a few tender words of hope and comfort, gentle words for troubled hearts, and what a gift they are. Are not two sparrows sold for a penny? Yet not one of them will fall to the ground apart from your father. And even the hairs on your head are counted. Do not be afraid. You are of more value than many sparrows. There's just not a lot of love given to the, the sparrow. I mean, as birds go, the, the house sparrow doesn't have a lot of plumage to look at. It doesn't have a, a beautiful song for us to listen to, just that terse little chirp. And they seem to be everywhere, taking over the niches that should be held by prettier feathers and more beautiful songs. I can't say I spent most of my life as a lover of sparrows. And uh, I don't think I'm alone. Who killed, cock, who killed Cock Robin? I said the sparrow with my bow and arrow. I killed Cock Robin. 
Poor Sparrow can't even catch a break, because if you read to the very end of that poem, a hawk comes and says, I am the hand of justice, and I'm going to eat you up. In 1854, an amateur naturalist named Eugene Scheifelin released several sparrows in his backyard in Brooklyn, New York, with the hope of managing an infestation of inchworms. What could go wrong? The sparrow's arrival was celebrated with an ironic and extremely problematic and strangely apt bit of poetry by William Cullen Bryant. It goes like this. A winged settler has taken his place with Teutons and men of the Celtic race. Like I said, it, problematic. He has followed their path to our hemisphere. The old world sparrow at last is here. Yikes. Because there was one glitch in the plan. <laughs> with, those, with the introduction of those few settler sparrows in a, not of that many years, most of North America was well and truly populated with that unstoppable invasive species. And now, thanks to a few other similar efforts, the house sparrow is the most widely distributed wild bird on the whole planet. In the ancient world, before there was chicken in the form of cutlet or tendy or McNugget or Dino Buddy, regular poor folks found their budget meals in the section of the food market dedicated to humbler offerings. Hard breads and porridges made with the starches from cheaper grains like barley, oily little fish or offcuts of meat and offal, and somewhere in the market, you could find in the budget section the place where the enterprising folks would present an arrangement of cages, housing little birds that they'd netted throughout the week, fresh and ready for skewers or tiny little roasts and soups and other simple peasant recipes. In fact, uh, to combat, uh, this might sound familiar, third century price gouging at the grocery store, the Roman Emperor Diocletian uh, once issued an edict of maximum prices on groceries and foodstuffs. And the sparrow was there at the very bottom of the list by reputation and regulation, the cheapest of all food birds. I mean, I'd be happy to talk about the sparrow all day. There's, there's a lot to say, and in case you're wondering, sometimes, yes, David, there is niche content just for you. I don't care, and nobody else needs to listen to this sermon, just you today, David. I'm good with it. Totally fine. You can all leave if you need to. Birders, I guess other birders could stay in the room, but... All this to say that I think Jesus really delivers the goods in choosing such a humble and prolific creature for such a poetic purpose. These little birds become our teachers. The price of two sparrows on the spreadsheet of the universe. God's private, sometimes secret economy. It's his divine edict naming the basic minimum value of every living thing. Maybe you and I see pennies, but God sees his handiwork, innate beauty. The little animal at the bottom of the list is seen 
and is known. One sparrow falling to the earth, made of the same dust as us, becomes a picture of God's care for all creatures. Creatures like us, and with this one statement, we get a measure of our own profound value and worth. You are seen. You are known. I had a feeling Don was going to sing that number this morning. What a treat that was for us. His eye is on the sparrow. Do not be afraid. You are of more value than many sparrows. Back on topic. In 2023, how much could I really say in a sermon about religious disagreements or sectarian arguments or denominational politics? What a discouraging sight. Over the years, as a personal, occupational, work-related practice and a means of guarding the general health of my soul, I have actually learned to limit my exposure to the Christian news sites and all of those many blog posts. There are only so many disheartening Christian news stories that I can safely consume in a given week. And friends, if you're one of those people that sends me those links all the time, I'll don't stop doing that. I'm, here, I'm still here for it. I just might not always read it, if that's okay. Religious people can be kind and generous, and they can be reckless and unkind. Human nature has a long reach in both directions. And Jesus' predictions of heartbreaking division still play out every day. What the disciples couldn't have known was the years of struggle ahead. All those times when the church would choose to sit in positions of power and privilege with declarations and condemnations, cutting a reckless path across the hemispheres, sometimes willfully blind to the human suffering and harm, the trampling of the earth, humans as an invasive species. The disciples also would have hoped for those times when the church would be the humble voice in the shadows or in the periphery, keeping company with the nobodies, speaking words of hope, practicing works of love, cleansing lepers and curing the sick. The church is a a found family contending with dark forces. And still, all of this, this beautiful work, it comes at a cost. Jesus said, do not be afraid, even as he described those difficult challenges ahead, the real dangers that the church would face. Can't we all just get along? Honestly, no. And in the mess of all that, we will always have hard choices to make, consequential ones. We will do our best to confront the dark forces of this world as best we can. Together, we will call upon our love and our courage and our wisdom, asking ourselves, what what does it look like to take up a cross? 
What is the, sh- what is the path of one's life? Carrying a cross? Such an effort calls for thoughtfulness and care and the breath of the Spirit and the voices of wise ones in our midst, and we should expect setbacks and mistakes. We should be prepared to sit together holding difficult questions, even as they remain unanswered. Many of us maintain some really complicated networks of relationships. Family and friends, sheep and wolves, people who we hold dearly. It's all swirled in with our own positions of privilege, our sometimes guilty consciences. This is the work we do, looking for creative ways to come together and cooperate. Asking, when do we stick up? When do we, speak, uh, when do we stick around? When do we speak up? When do we run for our lives? What is this going to cost me? It can be an entire life's work, placing ourselves in the hands of our creator. And when we run out of energy, when we run out of ideas, when the conflicts are disheartening, when we lose sight of where we fit in all of this, those precious sparrows remain our teachers. Last summer, I was visiting with my uncle in his backyard over some iced tea, and he pointed out that there was a small neighborhood hawk that regularly perched at the trip tip of a spruce tree next to his backyard. And I played my cards, and I casually said, hopefully that little hawk catches plenty of sparrows. be nice if they could make room for some other birds. And my uncle said something like, hey, <laughs> watching, sparrows in- uh, watching the birds, including those sparrows, has been a gift to me through this whole season of the isolation days of the pandemic, and I love those birds, even the sparrows. I sip my tea. Well corrected. And since that time, I try to keep an eye on my own backyard sparrows with a different view. And I watch them fluff and preen and bathe themselves in the dust, little goofballs, taking little sips from the birdbath, chasing each other around the yard, pecking in the gravel and gathering in the lilac bushes and the hedges. My, oh my, those weird little birds have such pluck and spirit. (laughs) Fighting each other sometimes, like little champions, those pinchy little beaks. I can't imagine what it must feel like to get bitten by another sparrow. They fly with such grace and such ease. Well, sparrows, little living signs of a creator's love for all his creatures. Amen. Amen.